0: I want some of you to know that tonight, for some of you, your life could change forever. And I want you to know that earlier when I left you hanging, I didn't finish my story. There was more to it. You see, I'd broken that student's arm. I was the one who deserved to pay the hospital bill that was coming for me. After I found out I had broken that, I just felt crumbled inside. Because I knew what was coming. I knew that the call was coming from their parents to let me know what I owed for what I did. And as I got that phone call from that mom, I picked it up and I said, Christine, I am so sorry. I am so irresponsible. Whatever you want me to pay, I will pay. And then she said to me one of the most amazing things. She said, don't worry about it. We'll pay for it. What? You'll pay for it? You'll pay for what I did. You'll absorb the cost for what I am clearly responsible for. And she said, yes, we will cover it. We will cover the entire cost. And there's another place where I left you guys hanging. And that was in Romans 6.23. I didn't finish the verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that we are sinners who have sinned against a perfect and holy God, and our relationships are broken because of the sin and the evil that's in our own hearts. We deserve to pay for what we've done, and what we need more than anything else in the world is a Savior, someone who is perfect for us, someone who's willing to absorb our debt, someone who loves us so much, even though he knew we would never love him back that he wouldn't wait for us to love him no the bible says in 1 john 4:19 that we love because he first loved us that he made the first move you know earlier when i talked about the button that you could push that would get rid of all of the evil in the world some of you were like i will push that button until you discovered that there's actually evil inside of you. So how in the world do you get all rid of all of the evil and all of the sin in the world while maintaining you? The reason and the way that you do that is by having someone else pay it for you. And I have good news for you tonight. There is someone and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You see, guys, Jesus lived the perfect life. You know the imperfect life that, we, you know the perfect life we pretend to have? The way that we filter everything through our Instagrams and our Snapchats and all of the things that we post that we want people to see the real us. But what we know is that we're hurting beneath the surface. What we know is there's something broken in our heart. Jesus didn't need no Instagram filter on his life. Jesus didn't need to pretend to be perfect because he was perfect. For imperfect people, Jesus loved perfectly. Where we were broken, Jesus was whole. Where we fell short, Jesus closed the gap. And the only hope that we have in being made right with God is for the perfect son of God to step out of heaven, to come into our skin and willingly take and give his life for the price that we deserve to pay. You see, guys, he healed the sick. He cleansed the leper. He stood for the injustices of the world. He cared for children. He opened Opened the eyes of the blind. He comforted the outcast. He called the unqualified. He pushed back against religious people. He honored his father and mother. He told the truth. He never cheated. He lived a perfect life. And then he laid it down. Why? I will give this to you abundantly and clearly as I possibly can. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. You guys have any idea how loved you are? Do you have any idea how loved you are? And sometimes when we think about God's love, we think about it in a very reckless way. He has this reckless kind of love. And when we think about reckless people, what we think about with them is that they take what they have and they squander it and they use it in ways that we never would, that it looks almost irresponsible. And do you want to know what makes God's love reckless? Is whom he chooses to give it to. It's whom he chooses to give it to. And I know that there's probably some of you in this room tonight who've been going to church your whole life, and you look around your friends at school, and maybe you think to yourself, surely God loves me more than them. God loves me more than them. I attend youth group. I go to church. I sing the songs. I raise my hands. I don't do what they do. I see the stuff that they post to their Snap Stories. I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm squeaky clean. There's nothing wrong with me. But let me tell you something real quick. Is that God loves you with the same passion and intensity and degree as he loves a prostitute who's given away her life and her body over a thousand times on the Las Vegas Boulevard. That's the kind of reckless love that God has and maybe there's some of you in this room tonight who think that you're too far gone that you've done too much that god cannot forgive that you look around at your friends and you think that they're perfect in the way that they live their lives and you can say i would never be like them i can never do that do you understand that the christian faith the first step is recognizing that you're screwed up and that you're broken and that you need god that god loves you the person who doesn't think they're that lovable because of the things that they do and the not religious stuff that they do and the way you give yourself away. You think that God can never love you, but let me tell you that you underestimate his love. That he loves you with the same intensity and degree that he loves a a missionary over in China who's given their lives to serve orphans and widows. That's the kind of reckless love that God has for every single one of you in this room. And there's people in this room tonight who over the last six months have contemplated suicide, that have thought about taking their own life because they didn't think that they were lovable. Do you have any idea the God that loves you with a passion and with a desire to have you more than anything else in the world? You see, guys, Jesus lived in perfect harmony with, the, with, his, with his Father and with the Spirit. One God in three persons, he didn't need us. He didn't need to create us. You know, even though He created the sun the moon, the stars, the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets, the most beautiful mountain peaks and valleys, the greatest flowers and the most magnificent trees. He did all of that out of his enjoyment, but then what he did more than anything else in the world is he gave us life. And then he didn't do that because he needs us, he did that because he loves us. And he could have all of the galaxies in the world, he can have all the galaxies in the universe, he can have all of the deep things of God and all of the mysteries that we don't know, and they all belong to his and they they are in his hands, but you want to know the thing that he doesn't have, the thing that he knew it would pay him a cost in order to get? You. You. That's the kind of God that loves you. You see, friends, God did not die for his BFFs. The Bible says that God died for his enemies. Those who were set up in his heart that from the get-go would want nothing to do with God, to turn their backs on God. I had a kid come up to me one time, and he said, Joel, I saw this awesome movie called Act of Valor, and in this scene, I saw, I saw the gospel. I was like, well, dude, tell me about it. And he goes, there's this scene where all these American soldiers, they're in this room together, fighting against these Iraqi soldiers, and this Iraqi soldier throws a grenade in. And in danger, one of the Americans jump on the grenade, And takes the hit so that his fellow soldiers don't have to. He's like, dude, that's the gospel. I said, first of all, that's really amazing that you picked up on that. That's awesome. But you're almost there. You want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is a room full of ISIS soldiers. And one of them drops their own grenade, whether on accident or on purpose, of their own undoing. And then an American jumps in the room and lands on the grenade, and takes the hit, so his enemies wouldn't have to. That's the gospel. That's the God that loves you. Jesus of Nazareth, he lived a beautiful life. We've seen that. He said amazing things about himself. He said he was God with skin on, and that he could heal the sick. And he says if you want to have life, you need to come to me. He's either incredibly right about that or incredibly wrong about that or you're either incredibly right about that or incredibly wrong about that. There is no middle ground. We need to make our choice. And the religious leaders didn't like Jesus. And so they plotted to kill him. And they arrested him one night And he was betrayed by one of his own friends that he was close to for many years. And they brought him to the Jewish courts, but by their law, they couldn't kill him. And so they brought him before this Roman governor named Pilate because they thought if they could convince Pilate that this Jesus guy who's claiming to be a king, they could make it look like Jesus was overthrowing the Roman governor and Caesar. And in that day, that is automatic death. And that is the route that they went. And that is where our story picks up tonight, as we head to this moment where Jesus does the most unthinkable, loving thing for you and for me. It says this, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was a custom of the feast to release a prisoner who had the people requested. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one who you call uh, king uh, of the Jews? Pilate asked, crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And there before the religious leaders was a murderer who they knew was clearly guilty. And Jesus of Nazareth, who they knew was clearly innocent. And even Pilate knew he was innocent. He says, what crimes has he committed? He says, I find no fault in this man. But they wanted him dead. And there is a line, there's a word that we read from that last sentence. And it's the word flogged. Or flogging. And we read that word, and that means almost nothing to us. Let me tell you what flogging is. And so what they would do back in the day is that Romans were actually very good at torture. They're experts in it. So what they would do in flogging is they would strap a person to a post, exposing their skin. They would rip their clothes down, leaving them in their undergarments. And then they would take sticks and start to beat them against the back over and over again slapping across the skin. And then they would take uh, 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 this ball and chain with these small balls on it and they would whip them across his legs and they would whip it across their backs and then they would turn it over and they would whip it across their chest and they would beat him repeatedly over and over and over again. And then last but not least, they brought out this thing called the cat of nine tails, which is this rope that has a bunch of sharp objects hanging from it. And they would put that into his back and they would pull it across his skin, starting to open up his flesh and blood would come pour out. And they would do that 39 times. And Jesus was a bloody pulp at the end of all of that, suffering for something that he didn't even do. And then it said, the soldiers led Jesus away into that palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. So they would mock Jesus for pretending to, be the, pretending to be a king. He was a real king, trust me. And then they would stick this crown of thorns on his head and push it down into his scalp. And then they would put this purple robe over him, signifying royalty. And then when they were ready to go, all of that cloth that they had put on him had soaked in all of the sores that he had endured during his flogging. And then they ripped that right back off of him exposing and opening all the wounds that Jesus had and they led him out to be crucified and what they would do with the crucifixion is they would make you carry your cross from the temple all the way up to a place called Golgotha where this it was a public humiliation for all the world to see that if you were to go against Caesar and, and what they would do is they'd make you carry your cross, but Jesus was so exhausted and he was so beat and he was so bloodied from the pain that he endured in his flogging. They had to pull out of this crowd a guy named Simon of Cyrene. And Simon helped Jesus eventually get up to Golgotha, this long trip. And what they would do is when they got him there, they turned the beam over and they would place Jesus on his back and they would spread out his arms and they would take nails And they would place it over his wrists, and they would start to strike. That's the sound of my sin and your sin being nailed to the cross. For every time you stabbed your friend in the back. For every time you've sent an inappropriate Snapchat. For every time you've gossiped against somebody. For every time that you've given yourself away to someone who wasn't your husband, who wasn't your wife. For every time that you have used your religious church attendance to make yourself look good before God. Nailed to the cross. And it would stay there. And the part about crucifixion that's the worst is that a person wouldn't die by the immediate death. What they do is they would string you up and nail not only your wrists into the cross but also your feet as well. And the thing that killed you in crucifixion is that it would Be hard to breathe, and the only way you could breathe is if you pushed up. In order to push up, you would have this excruciating pain going through your feet, and you would be constantly trying to get your breath. Sometimes it took people days to die because they couldn't have the strength to get up anymore. And that is the pain that the Son of God bore for me and for you on the cross. See, you guys think you know what sin looks like. You think you understand what sin might look like, but let me show you what sin looks like. It's disgusting, isn't it? The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That is your sin, and that is my sin on that cross. And that's not even the worst of it. Because at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I had a student come up to me one time and they said, Joel, didn't two other guys get crucified next to Jesus on the cross? I said, yeah. He said, why was Jesus' punishment and pain any different from theirs? I said, that's an excellent question. Because something was happening to Jesus on the cross in a very spiritual and emotional way that is more devastating to him than any of the physical punishment that he ever endured from the floggings and from being on the cross. Anytime you look through scripture and you see how Jesus talks about God, he refers to him as father. Father, daddy, an intimate relationship, but that is not what he calls his father here. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, if you had somebody come up to you and says, I don't want to be a part of your life anymore, and they're a complete stranger, you'd be like, whatever, right? Okay, that's fine. But if you had your parent, if you had your close best friend come up to you and say, I don't want to be a part of your life anymore, that would hurt more than anything else in the You see, guys, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the pain when there's separation, that Jesus was being abandoned by his Father on the cross. He was being separated and severed from an eternity of a relationship with his Father. And he was feeling the deep pain of that. Jesus bore hell for you on the cross. You want to know what hell is? Hell is a life apart from God that goes on forever and ever and ever and you're separated from the very perfect, perfect and loving God who's the very source of love, life, happiness, and joy. And that is what Jesus experienced on the cross for you and for me. When I was 25 years old, My dad was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, which is a disease that usually happens for people who have an abuse of alcohol. And so my dad had gotten to a point where he had to decide what he wanted to do with his hospital care. He'd been in and out of the hospital for months. And then finally, he gave in and he went into hospice care, which basically, if you know anything about hospice care, hospice care is a a place where you go, you pretty much know that you're going to die. And they make you comfortable for a number of months or days or whatever they get, they say. So they gave my father four to six months to live. My father went into hospice care on a Sunday. And then I had a conversation with him on a Thursday. I was telling him about I was getting ready to go to Haiti and I was excited about the trip and all this stuff. And and we finished up our conversation. We hung up the phone. Little did I know that that was going to be the last time that I ever talked to my father. Because on Sunday, I got a call from my sister that said that my dad had fallen in the middle of the night, and he hit the back of his head. And my sister said, you need to get up here. And I raced up to Erie from Pittsburgh, and I saw him in the state of adrenaline. And then slowly, he slipped into a catatonic state. And that very next Wednesday... Roughly around 9 a.m., my dad passed away. And the thing that I have to treasure more than anything else in the world is the last words that my father ever said to me. Do you want to know what the last words that my father said to me before he died were? He said, I love you, son. I love you, son. Do you want to know what the last words that Jesus' father said to him before his son died? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He turned his back on him. He abandoned him. He treated him like he wasn't a child. You want to know why? So that one day he could treat you and me like we were. Everything that the son deserves. He's He's totally out of his place. He shouldn't be there. We should be there. But Jesus is taking everything that we deserve so that he could give you and me, us sinners, us broken people, a chance to be made right new with God. And then Jesus said in John nineteen thirty, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It's over, it's done. The perfect life that needed to be lived to pay for the perfect sacrifice was now paid in full. And then three days later, Jesus got back up again. And he conquered sin and the grave. And he said, "If you live, because I live, so, t- so shall you live. Because I live, so shall you live. And that, for those of you in the room tonight, who do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that he offers you a trade. He says, I've taken your sin, your brokenness, the debt that you owe to God and I've paid for it, but I'll make you a trade. Give me your life your imperfections, your unrighteousness, all the things that you've done wrong, and I will give you my perfection, my righteousness, everything you don't deserve, I will give you by my hands of grace. I will forgive you of every sin, past, present, future, and you will be with me again, and that you can learn to love God again so that you can learn to love others again, so you can learn to love yourself again, and so that you can learn to love God's creation again. And it's through the cross of Jesus Christ that fixes all of the brokenness and sin in our hearts and our lives. And it takes a long time to be able to work those things into our hearts. But my goodness, it's the only hope that we have. And the Bible says that he wants to give it to you. It costs him everything and it's free of charge to you. And you have to receive it by grace. This isn't something that just automatically applies to you. It's something that God offers. You either have to accept it or you have to reject it. In John 12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave right to become children of God. Tonight you can become a child of God. You just need to take his gift of grace, his reckless love poured out for you on the cross. How do you not take that? How do you not take that? I have a hundred billion dollar debt. I have $100 billion, I will pay your debt. No, thank you. You serious? It's the best thing in the world that you can be made right with God and that he can give you life. He says, I've come to give life. I've not come to police your life. I've come to give you rest for your souls. I've come to give you healing where things are broken. I've come to be your friend and I've done that all through the cross all because I love you. And in a moment, All of you will get up out of this room quietly and you will go out to do 20 minutes of silent business with God and this is a moment that might change your life. We don't want you to talk to anybody. We don't want you to sit next to anybody. We don't want you to be in a place where you might be distracted by this wonderful opportunity that you have. Maybe you've totally checked out And you don't really care about what I'm saying anymore. But there's people that are absolutely checked in. And don't distract them from that. And so what we'll do in a second is we'll get up and we'll go out. And we understand that it's raining outside. And so what we want to do is we're going to give you guys some options of some more drier places to go. And so when you leave this place in complete silence, here are some places that you could go if you want to stay dry. You can go up to the meeting house where the Bible study happens. And you just find a place in there to sit for 20 minutes of silence. You can go on the dining hall porch or inside the dining hall lobby uh, to the pavilion down by the basketball court, the pavilion over here where the youth village is. You can go to the gazebos. Uh, You can go to the, uh, uh, I think that's it. And you're going to be out there for 20 minutes. And when the 20 minutes is over, you will hear a horn. And that will signal you to go back to your cabin times. But here's what I want you guys to do in your 20 minutes of silence. I want you to do something. Sometimes you just go out there and it's just, do I look at the ground for 20 minutes, right? I want you to do something because I know that there's so many different types of people in this room tonight and so many different places in the relationship with God. And so tonight, I want you to do one of three things. I either want you to pray, to give, or to stay. I either want you to pray, to give, or to stay. And for those of you who are going to pray, there's about two categories of you people here. The first is this, is you know that you have a relationship with God. Some of you know that you've already accepted Jesus, you've already received the gospel, you've already received his forgiveness, you already have a relationship with him, he's already given you life and life to the full, and you know that. And what I want you to do, and you know in your relationship with God is strong, I want you in your 20 minutes of silence to pray for your friends, to pray for boldness so that when you go back home, you can be a bold light in a very dark place. That's what I want some of you to do. And then there's some of you in the room who also have given your lives to Jesus, that you call him Savior and Lord, and that he's forgiven you of all of your unrighteousness, and that his life counts for yours. But you know, that you are not where you're supposed to be right now. That you have wandered away from him and his love and you feel him calling you back to himself right now. And all I want you to do in your 20 minutes of silence is I want you to pray to come back to God. And so in the Christian world, we somehow have made this up to be this thing we call rededicating our lives to Christ or recommitting our lives to Jesus. The Bible calls it repentance. Repentance. You just... You're going the wrong way in your relationship with God and then you just turn back around and go towards him. And then you say to the Lord, whatever you've done wrong, confess your sins because he's faithful and true and will forgive you of all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. And so I want you, for those of you who know Jesus, I want you either to pray for your friend, I want you to pray to come home because you know you're not where you're supposed to be right now. And then there's those of you in this room tonight. Maybe some of you have grown up in church. Maybe... Your family has gone to church ever since you can remember. And you think that because your parents are Christians, your grandparents are Christians, your friends are Christians, your friends' parents are Christians, that you're a Christian. Let me just tell you that you are no more a Christian going to church than you are a car standing in a garage. And you've been faking it for everyone to see. I once had an atheist kid say to me, I would rather raise my hands in worship to praise a God I don't believe in than to stand out amongst these Christian people. And you've been faking it. And right now, you know you've been found out. And what I want you to do, as you recognize in your heart that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you do not have one. It doesn't exist. It's been a fake this whole time. But what you realize is you want to have a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to give your life to him. Maybe there's some of you in this room who've never heard the message of the gospel before. And your friend brought you to the first time and this is the first church thing you've ever done. You're also in the same boat as the kid who thinks that they have been a Christian their whole life but right now they're discovering they're not. You are much like them that you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior. I've got good news. There's one available. His name is Jesus. He wants to have a relationship with you. And what I want you to do is I want you to give your life to God. In your 20 minutes of silence, you say, God, I give you everything. I admit all the things that I've done wrong. I believed in what you did for me on the cross and I commit my life to follow you. And that is a moment that will change your life forever. And the last category of people are those who also don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you know it. But you're not ready to give, and you're just going to stay. But what I'll encourage you to do, it's not going to cost you anything, is just to just say to God, Lord, I don't know if you're real, but show me. Show me that you are, even by the end of this weekend. And you might find yourself giving your life to Jesus for the first time. So when you go out for your 20 minutes, you're either going to pray, give, or stay. I want to give you a final comment, and I want to close with a poem, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll send you out. There's a, a guy named John Foreman, and he is the lead singer for a band called Swishfoot, and he makes this really cool statement when he says, sometimes it's easier for me to believe that God exists than it is to believe that God loves me. I'll say that again. Sometimes it's easier for me to believe that God exists than it is to believe that God loves me. What he's saying is sometimes it's easier for me to believe that God is distant and out there and it's clear that he's created the world, but he doesn't want to have a relationship with me because if he knew who I really was, he wouldn't want to have a relationship with me. And anything that the cross proves is that God, despite your sin, wants to have a relationship with you. That he would go to the point of death in order to have a relationship with you. He would die to be with you. But then he says, but he wants me. He wants me. It's easier for me to believe that he's out there and distant than it, is to be- than it is to believe that God loves me, but he does love me despite what he sees. I want to finish with these words. I want to pray for you, and we'll send you out for your 20 minutes of silence. Who will see your darkened heart and not draw back in fear? Who can fill your soul with awe when you feel him drawing near? Who can look past all your sin even though it's bright as day? And who can see your wickedness and choose to love you anyway? It is he who ate with prostitutes and those not understood. It is he who loved those left outside when no one else would. It is he who calmed the raging seas with words that were so few. And with those same soft-spoken words, he'll calm the storm inside of you. He's taken on so willingly the debt that we were meant to pay. He took the cross to bring us back even when we'd gone astray. Who died the death you should have died so that he could give you life. Who rose again up from the dead, turning darkness into light. Just ask of him and he'll forgive. He says just what he means. He took the fall and took it all so that he can make you clean. Who gives to you so graciously a gift you should not touch, but decides to die to pay the price because he loves you just that much. He's Jesus Christ, the saving one, the lamb of God, the father's son, He'll break your chains. He'll rescue you. He'll fix you up. He'll make you new. So give him your life. He'll take control. He'll fill the void. He'll make you whole. So come now, child, and find your place at his table of unending grace. Receive his love and be set free and become the person you were meant to be. Lord, I pray for these students tonight as they go out, to either pray, to give, or to stay. Then, in all these ways that you would meet them, where they're at, remind them of their, your love for them. No matter what they've done, you still want them, and the cross proves that. And the resurrection proves that. So Lord, be with them now. Speak to them in the silence but may your voice speak the loudest. Be with them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may stand up and please exit in silence. Thanks for listening to audio recorded at Laurelville 2017. Feel free to share this audio, but please do not alter the content in any way. Laurelville is a ministry of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. For more information, visit us online at pittsburghkidsfoundation.org.